0: Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Dr. Josh Barron. Josh is co-founder and partner at Banyan Global. For over a decade, he has worked closely with families who own assets together, such as operating companies, family foundations, and family offices. He helps these families to define their purpose as owners and to establish the structure, strategies, and skills they need to accomplish their goals. Josh teaches family business courses at Columbia Business School, and he publishes and speaks frequently on subjects concerning family business enterprise and is a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review. Well, good morning, Josh. Good morning, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really glad you could join me this morning for this edition of Family Business Today. I've really been looking forward to our interview to learn more about your recent family business survey and your new family, new newly published family business handbook.
1: I'm delighted to talk about both with you.
0: Well, great. So let's get started. You have consulted with many large family-owned companies. Tell us about how you got into family business advising and about your company, Banyan Global.
1: I'd be delighted to. I think like most important things in life, it happened with a lot of fortune and and, uh, good luck. Um, I spent most of my career as a strategic consultant working first for for for-profit corporations and then with nonprofit and uh, foundations, some family philanthropists. And so my first exposure to this field was really working with families on their philanthropic interests. And then really by chance, I got connected uh, to a firm that came out of the Harvard program that was working with family businesses. And I didn't know this was something people did for a living, uh, but I've been doing it for about 13 years and I can't imagine doing anything else. And so about nine years ago, we spun off from that firm and created Banyan Global. And um, we work with family businesses um, and family offices all over the world, helping them on issues like generational transitions and succession planning, uh, developing governance. Um, I personally have have worked, you know, obviously here a lot in the US and Canada, but also in Latin America, Southeast Asia, the Middle East. I really enjoy uh, having that global perspective on family businesses.
0: Well, thank you, Josh. And so obviously, uh, you know a lot about family business, so I'm looking forward to us getting in and talking about that. Well, you know from experience, and I know from experience, that we hear a lot of uh, myths and misconceptions about family businesses. What are some of the most common myths surrounding family businesses that you've seen or heard of? Sure, I, I
1: think the the myth that is probably the most common, and it's actually one of the first things I learned, and uh, when I joined this field, and I think probably the most unhelpful is is what's often called the three generation rule. This notion that you know family businesses you know don't survive three generations, that the first generation builds the business, then the second generation rests on their laurels and by the third generation, like the family is poor again. And, you know, of course the statistics are are, are out there and there's some truth to them uh, in the sense that most family businesses don't make it through three generations, mm-hmm. uh, but the reality is most businesses don't make it through three <laughs> generations. If we're talking about, you know, 90 years, um, the statistics on, on any business lasting for anywhere close to that long are, are even worse. Uh, for non-family businesses. And so, you know, oftentimes there's this sense that family businesses are somehow more fragile than other kinds. Um, I even, I teach at Columbia Business School and I can't tell you how many times I've had students raise their hand in class and say, I'm the third generation. I'm the one who's going to screw up this business. And of course I say, absolutely not. That's not, that's not the way this works. So family businesses are actually more, uh, more easily sustained than other kinds. If you look around the world, most of the longest lasting businesses are going to be family companies. And there's things that family businesses are able to do, which raises their odds. So I, I think this idea of of family business fragility is probably the biggest misconception. The other one I'll mention, because I think it's also the thing that if, if you know anything about family businesses, you probably know they get into these horrible feuds and fights, right? I mean, these are the these are the things that make for great uh, dramas, whether those are, you know, magazine stories or or fictions like, you know, Succession on HBO or, or Dynasty and Dallas before mm-hmm. that. Um, they make for these incredibly, you know, compelling stories. But the reality for most family businesses is not that they're feuding all the time. It's actually that they have too little conflict because most family most families are programmed to get along with each other, and so. You know, what happens is that you you sort of you hear this sort of ethos of let's not, you know, we, we're not going to deal with that important issue because it's going to co- it's going to ruin Thanksgiving or going to ruin Christmas or, or vacation. So let's just sweep that under the rug and not deal with that. And so there's this tendency in families to actually not deal with the conflict, not deal with those issues. Um, so even though there's this perception that family businesses are these hotbeds of of conflict and disagreement, in reality, the, the biggest challenge for most family businesses is figuring out how do you have those tough conversations? How do you learn how to disagree to take, you know, take the elephant out of the room, so to speak?
0: Well, Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I know uh, in our work with uh, family businesses, uh, when it comes to conflict, we talk about the three C's, uh, communications, communications and communications. So it's (laughs) sure. Absolutely. You've Got to talk. You've got to talk about it, uh, it to work, to work through it. And then also to respect others for their opinions. Uh, and part of that, well, you recently completed a family business survey. Uh, tell us about your motivation behind it and, and what did you discover from it?
1: Yeah, great question. So we actually did a a survey twice. Uh, One was around the the April, March, April timeframe, right as COVID was happening. And then the other was the end of the year, November, December. And the first time we did it was really just a sense of, you know, we care deeply about the field. We're not a professional survey company or anything like that. We just wanted, but we do have a good network of family businesses and just wanted to sort of surface the, you know how are people doing, and what are you doing in order to make it through this difficult time and then we wanted just to get an update on how people were doing you know back towards the towards the end of of 2020 um, and uh, so that was sort of the motivation for it. I think what we found is probably you no know, not that surprising. I think you know it was a t- it was a tough year for sure. for family businesses. Um, it's been a tough time and you know what I think the one of the one of the positive things that came out from the second survey is that I think there's a, a greater sense of optimism a greater sense that it's been you know it's still been challenging but it hasn't been as negative I think in that first early period you know the, that you know April May time frame of last year no one really knew what was going on and didn't know you know how how businesses were going to survive and I think for for some you know they, they weren't able to make it it really was a, a really tough um, you know tough event um, but I think that for for most there's there's sort of coming at least towards the the end of this period and having a greater sense of optimism about the future
0: uh, optimism gets us through an awful lot of things uh, some people think that this is the uh, first time they've ever had to deal with something like this but uh, uh, any of us who've been around a long time remember uh, the '80s. We remember the '90s, and we remember the 2000s. Uh, exactly, some, something that happens, and and the the key to survival is optimism, uh, and working working very hard uh, as a, as a family together. Well,
1: yeah, well, and there's a, I think also to your point, you know, this is you know there's a level of of uh, institutional and personal memory about these things, yeah. and I think that gives you a, a sense of you know you know confidence to say yes this is this is a horrible time period but we've been through other horrible time periods and we'll make it through this one just as we made it through those other ones and i think that that's one of the strengths that family businesses have because you have people that are involved in them for decades you know whether they're in the ceo or on the board or you know just in you know as part of the family business more broadly if you've been through these periods before, you just you just feel more comfortable and confident that you're going to have to make some tough choices. Um, you're going to have to sort of do some things to get through it. But you but you will get through it.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's always the, la- the, the the last generation, the na- the next gen, who's the one who hasn't experienced the other. So you're talking about that memory from the uh, previous generation, the now gen, to be able to share uh, those previous expenses experiences, so they understand that. So yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Absolutely. you you previously mentioned uh, that you work prim- primarily with large family owned companies, but really uh, the small to mid sized family business business owners are really dealing with the same problems, just sure. maybe in a little bit different uh, 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 level of, of 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 how they do it. So what have you learned? Uh, from your work with large family businesses is relevant to small to mid-sized family business leaders who might be listening to our podcast today
1: Yeah, and and Greg I completely agree with you I, I don't think that you know the the, the number of zeros at the end
0: of, yeah. you know, of your revenue number
1: really makes that big of a difference Certainly, you know in, in the US one of the complicating factors is the need to deal with estate planning and certainly that's probably the one thing that is a big difference between a very large family business and one that is able to, you know, deal with lifetime gift exemptions and those kinds of things so that the estate tax is not such a big deal. That's I think that's probably the only major difference. I think the similarities are much more common. And and I think what I'll point to in particular, I think what we've really learned from our practice and maybe makes ours a bit different than and some of the others is we've really um, you know honed in on the importance of ownership in the long-term success or long-term failure of, fam- uh, of family businesses and, and ownership is something that just doesn't get a lot of attention in the business world you know I teach at a business school we, we talk a lot about management we talk some about corporate governance we talk very little about ownership because the way that we think of companies is really through the lens of a public company where the owner just doesn't get to do very much you kind of you buy low and hopefully you sell high and that's kind of about it but in a family business where the owners are are people where they know each other they're related they're they're not investors in a bunch of companies they're invested in this particular company it couldn't be more different and and when that's the case you you kind of Realize the magnitude and impact of, of ownership. You know, think about your car or your home. Think, you know, that's what that's what we mean when we talk about ownership in, in this family business environment. When you when you own something, you get to influence almost everything of importance about it. And you know, in a family business environment, you have all these choices to make about you know about the business that will affect it for the long term. Mm-hmm. And and how you make those choices is going to affect whether the business is able to last or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, so many so many uh, uh, business owners in the small to mid-size, uh, they look at it as a job, uh, but we, we have to be begin to think of ourselves that we're not only are we, is it a job, but it's also, we're investors, and so, uh, we want to be able to receive an income from the business to uh, care for our family, provide our needs, but we also want to build uh, equity and and someday be able uh, to to take that investment uh, to that that to, to brings in additional revenue for us. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, sure, I, and yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, go ahead. No, well, I was gonna say, I mean, that's that's a great example that one of if you you know one things we talk about in the book is that you there that ownership brings with it these five five rights that you have as an owner and one of those rights is exactly what you were talking about which is the right to value meaning that Mm -hmm. you get to decide if you own if you own a business especially if it's a private business you get to decide how you keep score right in 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 a public company it's all about maximizing shareholder returns but for your business it might be something you know something beyond that mm-hmm. for most family businesses they care about other things rather than just you know making as much money as they mm-hmm. can you might care about the culture of your business mm-hmm. or there might be certain things that you're not willing to do even though they can make you more money because they're against your values or you might be focusing on creating jobs for family members or not or or focusing more on longevity in the long term rather than how much you can make next quarter all of these choices are ultimately up to the owners of the business to make. And there's no right or wrong answer. The important thing is to figure out what you value and translate that into your concrete goals, how are you gonna measure success, and what we call guardrails, which is like how do you know Mm -hmm. whether you're on track or off track?
0: Yep, you've got to measure, you've got to measure. Well, thank thanks for sharing that. Well, you know, uh, we all like to celebrate uh, birthdays and and milestones, uh, both personally and and in business. And uh, we just crossed a, a, a milestone. March eleventh was the. Uh, one year mark for the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. And I don't exactly say we want to celebrate it, but what sure, strategies sure. have family businesses been using to navigate the pandemic? You mentioned that just a little bit earlier, but maybe a little bit more information on that.
1: Sure. Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things that I learned when I first started uh, at Baden Company doing consulting is what we say is cash is king. And um, in, in an economic crisis, I think that's you know even even more true than usual. So I think one of the strategies that that we've seen family businesses use is is to really try to manage cash flow as much as possible, mm-hmm. and that means trying to keep control of expenses. Uh, many family businesses you know took efforts to try to you know reduce both their you know but reduce expenses where they could, um, reduce dividends or distributions where they had to. Um, Just trying to make sure, you know, businesses go out of business because they can't pay their bills. So, you know, one of the ways you survive is to make sure that you can kind of keep yourself in the game um, as long as you can. Um, So that's sort of one piece. A second thing is that there is a huge, you know, there's that expression, never waste a good crisis. Right. So (laughs) one of the things that we definitely saw family business doing, family businesses doing is, trying to use this as an opportunity to innovate and and maybe sometimes to to take on some projects or innovations that have been talked about um, but haven't really been as much of a focus and and for example specifically on on things like technology on um, you know e-commerce on going direct to consumers you know retail stores are closed how do you develop that direct relationship with your with your customers um so i think a lot of a lot of innovation um, I think has come out of this crisis and really using this as a way to say how can we how can we take some steps that will that will pay off? And then the last thing I'll mention is just that that longer term perspective of, of really one of the things I've you know one of the, one of the family businesses I talked to said we want to make sure that however long this lasts and we can't control when it lasts, we want to make sure that our curve is v-shaped rather than u-shaped. Mm-hmm. So when things start to come back online, how do we prepare and plan, uh, so that we can really take advantage and get back on a positive trajectory and maybe even gain some market share compared to where we were before and we actually in the survey we did the most recent one um, about 25 percent of family businesses that we surveyed expect that they'll actually gain share uh, in this post-pandemic period because uh, compared to some of their other peers they haven't had to cut back as much um, because they can actually they can choose to make less money for this year they can choose not to lay off as many people if, if they want to. So they're better prepared to take advantage of the opportunities that will come as the economy starts to open up and grow again.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, we've we, no, we've certainly seen that, uh, uh, that the ones who have tended to, to survive better during this uh, pandemic have been those that have been in manufacturing of products um uh that are being sold on amazon or whatever versus sure. versus those services or whatever like restaurants and whatever so anyway that's a uh well thanks for sharing that well let's talk about you you mentioned earlier about family feuds and fights and and families never uh fight uh in their family but they also um uh, never fight in business, you know. Uh, we say that family is family and business is business, and never the two shall meet, unless, of course, you work together in a family business. How has the pandemic Absolutely. impacted family relationships?
1: Uh, it's a great question, and and I, one of the classes I teach at Columbia is called Managing Conflict in Family Business. So I, I definitely, uh, definitely familiar with with some of these the realities that can come with being part of a family business. Um, Look, I I think it's like it's like many things. Um, There's not any one answer. You know, when we surveyed families on on how the pandemic was affecting the relation, their relationships, you could basically split the responses into thirds. There's a third that saw no impact. It really didn't affect them in any meaningful way. There is a third that saw a negative impact. And and that's where, um, you know, these tensions and issues, you know, magnified. Uh, things that were already going on, right? So we were already having some tough times or or, or disagreements, and you throw a bunch of ten situations into the mix and, 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 and you know you mix those things together and you get a, a much more combustible um, pro, you know s- situation at the end. And then about a third actually saw a positive impact. and And what they would talk about um, is basically how this you know pandemic really creates a, a reason for for coming together. Uh, for finding common cause and common ground and for ignoring some of the things that may have been annoyances or, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. causing some challenges before and actually, you know, allowing them to develop closer, uh, closer relationships. Mm So, you know, I I think it's like many things in life, you know, you can't really control what happens to you, but you have a lot of influence on how you respond to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of family businesses, we're able to, you know, to, to really use this as a rallying cry and to, and to come together. But of course, for others, it's just, it was, it was stressful. It was hard. um, And it it made some of those tensions uh, more exacerbated.
0: Yeah. 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 Well uh, let's go back to this uh, uh, thought about uh, transition uh, planning for just a second. Sure. Um, um, You know, when I, when I'm talking to family business owners about their transition planning, I said, there's only one thing that I can guarantee that 100% of us will transition whether we want to or not. And and yet the SBA states that 40% of business owners of privately owned companies are considering transitioning in the next five years. And the primary reason for failure is a lack of planning. Yes. So as I've talked to several family business owners who have put their transition planning on hold due to the pandemic... Mm -hmm. Why should we worry that many of these family business owners are putting their transition plans on hold during a time like this?
1: Oh, it's it's a great point. As you said, father, father time is undefeated uh, eventually. Yes. So, you yes. know, something that's coming ultimately for all of us. But but, you know, these are these are hard subjects. I mean, whenever yeah. you're talking about, you know, either mortality, which is the hardest, I think, subject to talk about. Or identity, which is another really hard subject to talk yep. about. And when, you, when you've when you been, when you founded a business or when you've been running a business for, you know, 30, 40 years or longer, that is who you are. And, and trying to, you know, move away from that's really challenging. So I, I think there's a reason why these conversations are among the hardest um, in, in the family business environment. And I think in the pandemic, as just like with relationships, I think we've actually seen you know, families go go in in sort of both directions. Um, you know, some that have basically said, you know, uh, we we can't afford to think about this and talk about this. We've got to focus on saving the business. And even you know, some that have gone backwards, where someone who had stepped away from the business, um, longtime leader, they tra- they were transitioning out. They actually come back and say, "You need me now more than ever." So it's sort of like a reverse reverse on the mm-hmm. transition progress. Uh, I, there are some of those for sure. There are others that have, I think, have actually, because mortality is on our minds more, having been through a situation like this, I think it has, for many family businesses, brought this issue more to the surface and, and sort of forced those conversations to happen um, in, in a more uh, significant and substantive way. Um, so, look, it, it's it's sort of, um, it, it's it's always going to be a tough conversation, Um, And and I think, you know, it is it is critically important to find a way to have this on the agenda.
0: Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And you were were talking about earlier, it's hard, hard to uh, uh, plan the transition uh, because of identity. Because uh, we all know that uh, a big portion of family businesses, their name is in the name of the business, their name is on sure. the door, and so it, it's very, very hard to give to give that up. So I get that. Well, let's let's change directions for a few minutes. Uh, sure. Uh, you and your co-author Rob Lockenauer have just published the Harvard Review Family Business Handbook. Talk about your inspiration for it and how you hope it will help family businesses.
1: Sure. Well, the inspiration I think was twofold. The, the easy answer is that uh, my Rob and I have been writing for Harvard Business Review for almost ten years now on family business topics, and they asked us to write the book. And, and when I think when Harvard uh, Business Review asks you to write something, the answer is you, you should, ought to be yes. So that was one. But I think more deeply, you know, we, we've just found we've learned a lot about um, about family businesses over the over the, the you know decade and a half or so of each of us doing this work um, and we, we really wanted to share it we know that you know we have a, a a good thriving consulting practice but we know that we'll only ever be able to work with a small slice of of the sector and we really believe in it i really i really believe that you know family businesses you know when they're done right is the best form of capitalism mm-hmm. you know it's it's a more sustainable a way to run a business, to grow a business, and the more family businesses that are able to to sustain and be successful, the better off all of us um, as, as a society and an economy will be. And so the, the main inspiration was just to share what we've learned um, with as many folks as possible in the hopes that it will help spur some valuable conversations within their families and help them to deal with the challenges that come with being part of a family business. Mm.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I've enjoyed uh, reading uh, parts of it. Uh, so, uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, and, and to Rob both for uh, spending time to create a, a handbook uh, uh, for our family business clients. Well, um, you've talked some about ownership and longevity when it comes to family business. So, tell us what drives you to study these topics and, and why are they so important in your research?
1: Well, you know, as I said earlier, I think ownership is a really misunderstood and and, and underappreciated import you know importance in in long term sustainability as well as just in in company success. You tend to kind of underestimate how how important it is, and um, because it's not really taught much, we we've just found that there's a huge value in helping companies to understand how do you become an effective owner of a business and that these lessons are important, whether it's a company that you're running day to day, there are certain choices that you still have to make as an owner. Um, or if, if you reach a a size complexity of the business where you have, you know, folks, you know, some folks who are, um, who are running the business, others who might be sitting on the board or might be owners of the company, Uh, but are not actively involved in either of those two things. Um, And so there's that common denominator denominator of understanding what does it mean to be an effective owner? And and so that's really what's driven us to sort of, and through our our work with families, is to sort of understand how do you do that effectively? um, And and what are some of the tools and frameworks and approaches that you can use to really step up your game and to become uh, more effective owners of the company?
0: Very good. Very good. Well, let's go back to the Harvard Business Review. Uh, you said you've written several articles. Uh, one of the articles I want to focus on, for, focus on for a second is Build a Family Business That Last, about companies that have been in operation for not 10 years, 20 years, but hundreds of years. Uh, some brands that our listeners may uh, not even have thought of as family owned companies. Uh, Vitamix is an example of it, uh, Jose Kiervo, and CNA. Does your core advice differ for family businesses uh, who are in founders or in the first generation, second generation, or even third generation of business ownership?
1: It's a great question. I mean, of course. The answer is yes, I think you know the issues that you're gonna have to wrestle with are gonna be different as you as you Navigate through the generations, you know, I think as the as the founder of a business Some of the some of the big choices that you're gonna have to make are do I want this to be a family business, right? I mean do I want to I've built this company that's successful do I want to do I want to sell it? Do I want to or do I want to pass it down uh, to the next generation and if so how, how should I do that? Do I want to, you know, do I want to give it equally to my children? Uh, do I do I want to have some, you know, maybe I, the, the economic value is shared equally, but I want one of them to be in charge. Um, you know, how do I structure that to make it um, efficient from an estate planning perspective? Uh, there's all kinds of issues that are specifically related to that Founding moment, And then of course, as you go through the generations, you're facing different challenges. You know, siblings are, you know, our, our sibling relationships are the longest of our lives, uh, it, it, you know, in ways that are both positive. You can, you know, I've, uh, you know, you can almost say, you can say almost anything to a sibling and, and sort of still be able to come back, come back around. Um, but on the other hand, you deal with a, a huge amount of baggage. I mean, the you know the the relationships that you have, your your adult relationships are still affected by the things that you happened to you when you were eight, nine years old, right? So you have these like very complex relationships. But you also have a, a similar set of values because you all grew up on the same roof. And when you get to third, fourth, fifth generations where you that didn't happen, you you know your your cousins, maybe second or third cousins, you have to do a lot of work to try to To really develop um, those relationships, you can't take them for granted. So I would say it's a mix of both. There are some – the issues that you have to – and the choices you have to make are the same, whether it's first generation or 21st generation. Mm -hmm. But there's always going to be some different dynamics that are going to be specific to the, the time, the generation, the complexity of the family and the business. Yeah.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Well, you mentioned something uh, there that I I think a hundred percent of family business owners that I've worked with, uh, and probably most all of them is is wanting to treat your children, your family members equally. Uh, and we we'll always talk about the equal of treating them equal versus treating them fairly. And it's something that we could do an entire podcast on that. (laughs) Of course. Uh, But anyway, but thanks for sharing that. Well, uh, you know, uh, I have grandchildren and and we so we read a lot of of children's books. So uh, but uh, you you talk about the Goldilocks zone of conflict for family businesses. (laughs) Could you tell us a little bit about Goldilocks?
1: (laughs) absolutely and i and i have younger children so i read a lot i've been reading a lot of those too and they're a good inspiration for uh, for you know for examples for family businesses for sure and so the, as as most people read will know there's the goldilocks you know one one bed's too big one bed bed's too small you know one is just right um but also i think thinking about the astronomers talk about the idea of a goldilocks zone that you know, life, like Earth, you know, planets can't be either too close to the sun, it's too hot, too far away from the sun, it's too cold. And that's how I would think about conflict in the family business that, you know, you could both if it's too much conflict, where it's too hot. um, That's obviously unproductive, you you know, you can't have good discussions when people are feuding all the time. At the worst cases, they're battling out in court, that's unproductive. But what I found is that actually the the too little conflict is is more common and has almost the exact same results as too much conflict. When you have too little conflict, meaning that you're not dealing with the difficult issues, then the business loses its dynamism. You can't actually, you know, make decisions about how to grow, how to evolve. And then the family relationships suffer because if you're in a position where you're always walking on eggshells around each other because you're afraid you're gonna say something to anger someone or or, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or ruin a holiday or whatever then those relationships lose their authenticity so too little conflict actually results in the business not being successful and the family relationship suffering and so the the challenge in every family business is to find that goldilocks zone to find that space in the middle where you're able to talk about tough issues but in a constructive and productive fashion, um, as opposed to you know yelling and fighting and screaming, or or talking to each other through attorneys.
0: Very good. Yes, and it's nothing but expensive uh, when you start using the bringing the attorneys in to settle disputes between uh, uh, family members. Well, absolutely. What does the future look like for Banyan Global, and uh, especially about Josh?
1: Well, you know, I, I feel in a in a really fortunate position uh, where I absolutely love my job. Um, I've never had a more rewarding, um, you know, di- rewarding kind of work. I get to do you know between my core my day job and then you know my uh, my teaching role and the writing. I get to be you know exposed to to family businesses and all kinds of of fun ways, and, and get to sort of each one of those I find builds off the other. Um, so for me, it's probably more of the same. You know, I you know love doing the the work, advising, uh, advising families. I look forward to uh, getting back in person. You know, it's been a challenge doing this work virtually. Um, you know, over the last year, uh, so I, I look forward to kind of some resumption of of normal life as well. Like getting back in the classroom, um, you know, talking to people about this book that we've written in person as opposed to uh, doing things over over uh, Zoom and the like. So really, for me, it's it's more of the same and, and continuing to to learn. One of the things that I just I love about this work is that it's so complicated, in, in a way that I never feel like I truly understand um, everything. I'm always learning about different aspects, and that just allows me to, to to sort of continue to find such reward. And at the end of the day, um, I, I just find such you know, as I said, I really believe in family companies and to be able to help them is, is such a pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. We, we, we appreciate that. Well, we're we're coming to the end of our time together. I, I know I've learned a lot today and I hope our listeners have as well. Uh, what are some closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: What One thought is uh, don't believe the hype. We talked about the three generation rule, the, the, the mythology around that before. You know, don't get yourself so focused on the negative that you, you know, worry yourselves to failure or or even create a self-fulfilling fulfilling prof- prophecy around that. I really believe that family businesses, I think there's lots of great evidence around this, are really well positioned to deal with this particular economy that we have in the 21st century. And so I would bring a level of, we talked earlier, Greg, about the importance of optimism, I would bring a level of optimism and confidence that you know business is hard, making businesses last is really hard. But there, it, it, instead of fa- a family business being you know a detriment or a drag, think about it as something that can really create a competitive advantage for your for your company. So that's that's one. The other is just to um, you know cut each other some slack. You know it's been a really <laughs> stressful time, yeah. and uh, you know if you if you've been dealing you know with tough issues, if you're. If you're in that roughly a third of folks that this has been a this has been a stressful time and and, and even more so than normal on a business or a relationship or both, um, you know just understand that that's you're not alone. Like this is something that all family businesses this has been a difficult time for most businesses and most families. So try to cut each other cut each other some slack and, and give each other the the benefit of the doubt. And and lastly, I think just. To, you know, be be prepared for what's coming next and um, start thinking about how your business is going to, you know, you've had to be, go through a huge amount of change and, and innovation. Um, as the world gets back to some version of normal, which aspects of that are you going to keep? Um, how are you going to be prepared to to really take advantage of what, what most people are predicting is a significant period of growth uh, coming out of it? Um, Just to make sure you don't get too caught in in the struggles of the day that you're not thinking about about how you're going to really position yourselves for the future. Mm
0: -hmm. Very good. Very good. Um, So, Josh, uh, you've um, you've talked about your uh, book, The Harvard Business Review, Family Business Master uh, Family Business Handbook. Uh, Where can our readers uh, uh, purchase that?
1: Well, I'd love to say bookstores, but I'm not sure anyone's going to bookstores <laughs> these days. So um, you, can, uh, you can certainly find it on Amazon and any other, Barnes & Noble, you know, any of those places where, um, where books are sold, you can find it. We've got on, on our website, on banyan.global, if you go there, um, you'll find a list and, and links to some places, including some independent bookstores. If you prefer, prefer those, you can get it directly from Harvard Business Review. So uh, it should be widely available uh, worst case, if you can't find it, you can always reach out to me and then I'll be happy to help you do that.
0: Well, Josh, thank you for being my guest on Family Business Today. Personally, I plan to pick up a copy of your family business handbook and also recommend it to my family business clients. Please accept our best wishes for continued success for your work with family business owners at Banyan Global.
1: Th- thank you, Greg, and thank you for the work you're doing. I think it's just wonderful how you're highlighting some of these you know, issues and challenges that family business are working on through the podcast and for your continued uh, work with family businesses. it's I, I'm positive it's making a big difference. Yeah.
0: Oh Well, thank you very much, Josh. Well, to learn more about Banyan Global, their Family Business Survey and the Harvard Business Review Family Business Handbook, co-authored by Josh Barron, visit their website at httpsbanyan.global.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Day podcast. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, located in Nashville, Tennessee, our passion is to help families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, and working together, create a lasting family legacy. Whether you're a business owner looking to grow your family business or you're wanting to prepare to someday sell or transition, the business to the next generation, check out our free resources on our website at www.tncfb.com. If you want to talk to a family business advisor about your specific family business needs, schedule a 30 minute no cost call by sending us an email to infotncfb.com. If you want to talk, we will listen. Until next time, thanks for joining us.